From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Guarantee Commercial Title. Guarantee offers a new platform for the delivery of services based on the expertise and ingenuity of a visionary team of title professionals that identifies obstacles and creates solutions that result in a successful sale, construction, or financing of commercial real estate. To learn more, visit GuaranteeTitle.net. Solutions for some of the construction industry's most pressing challenges are starting to materialize, while others are showing signs that they're here to stay. As a construction professional for decades, Peter Hilger has direct insight into what's driving the issues and how they may be alleviated. High material prices, especially for lumber, present one of the leading challenges. Prices are just starting to stabilize as production increases. However, one of the industry's other challenges, labor shortages, may be here to stay, he says. Hilger has been the faculty director and instructor and internship advisor for the University of Minnesota's Construction and Facility Management Program in the College of Continuing and Professional Studies since 1997. As a practicing architect and construction manager since 1983, he consults on development planning and zoning approvals, as well as providing expert testimony at his firm. Quote, I'm an architect by training, I was a builder by passion, and I'm a teacher at heart, end quote, says Hilger, who speaks with reporter Kelly Bush in this episode of Beyond the Skyline. Well, thanks for joining me today, Peter. I'm excited to talk with you about material shortages and availability, which is something that I think everyone's took note of in recent months. So first, let's start by talking about your professional background. So can you give me an overview of that? Sure. Well, I'm a faculty director and um, a senior teaching specialist at the University of Minnesota's construction management program. I'm an architect by training. Um, I was a builder by passion and I'm a teacher at heart. So um, <laughs> that's kind of my elevator pitch. But yeah. I was a general contractor for, I don't know, 16 years uh, with my own firm. I also do the design side. So quite a bit of broad experience in the, in the business. So. Okay. as well as teaching for 23 yeah. years. Wow, okay, great. So with your background, you obviously have extensive experience in material pricing and availability. So this is a big question to start off with, but what's going on in terms of craft labor shortages and how did the pandemic impact that? Well, the, the crazy thing about the craft labor shortages is it was here before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. All right. And so that was probably the number one complaint I heard from members of our industry advisory board is just um, labor shortage, labor shortage, labor shortage. And then the pandemic hit. And of course, uh, that was a, um, you know, a, an unexpected situation that that impacted labor in a variety of ways with a lot of people staying home. Um, and of course, as it carried on, uh, you know, some contractors were continuing to build under, um, you know, 
different circumstances, uh, very careful circumstances. So, but a lot of um, some craft labor has left the industry, especially the older workers that finally said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just going to retire now. And so we've lost a little bit of that. Um, you know, I think on some of the younger side, I don't have, you know, hard evidence of this, but I think some of them are realizing, well, you know, the job market has really opened up and in a lot of other careers as well. I don't necessarily need to be swinging a hammer anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, causing further problems. But for the most part, it's the supply and demand side of the industry as well that's, um, that's combined with uh, having not enough labor to service that market that mm-hmm. provides that perception of the labor shortage to the lay to lay people. In other words, um, we may see it as a labor shortage. A company may not have any fewer workers than it did before, but because they have so much more work and they have to spread it around, they've only got so many people to spread around. So mm-hmm. that's one of the big limiting factors. So it's a combination of things, but it really the labor shortage issue started well before the pandemic and has been with us for quite some time. Attracting workers into this industry has always been difficult because it's, um, it's labor intensive, even though it is a very, very high paying industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is labor, you know, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. So what impacts have we seen play out in the residential market? I'm assuming those impacts were here before and during the pandemic, correct? Yes, um, we're seeing um, you know craft shortages, you know, like I said before and um, uh, you know after the pandemic or more recently. But it's just been um, again. I think that the impact is is that there is so much demand out there that even the labor that we had, if if COVID hadn't existed, all right. And we had this this sudden surge in demand. We would still have a labor shortage problem, exacerbated by the fact that there's more work out there. Really? Okay. Yes. Okay. So there's only so many people around to do the work, mm-hmm. and there are so many job openings available across the spectrum of our economy that um, it's it's become an issue of attracting workers into. Mm-hmm into the industry to service that demand. And, and I, I could be talking about construction, I could be talking about any number of industries right now that are searching for people. There's only so many of us to go around. Right, so how does the industry adapt to a labor shortage? You know, what, what do those changes look like? Well, there's a, there's a number of things that, um, what I would call new old techniques, uh, <laughs> okay. let's call older techniques that are being rediscovered. Um, but things such as uh, uh, prefabrication is uh, starting to take off. And that was actually a trend starting before uh, COVID hit, where companies were looking at um, ways to prefabricate assemblies. Um, that could be wall panels, it could be plumbing assemblies, it could be entirely finished units um, to look at, at how that could be adapted into the uh, workplace. Um, some recent research that I've done uh, suggests that uh, Europe is a little bit farther ahead than we are in this country in sort of looking at prefabricated uh, Lego style apartment blocks, for example, with fully finished units. Um, And and that will start to uh, come into the marketplace as well. But uh, that's one of the the ways that 
the labor shortage is being addressed is primarily with prefabrication because it's the one that has the quickest adaptability in the industry. The other one is perhaps less so in residential would be uh, technology improvements. So um, robotics, um, uh, you know, uh, automatically, um, uh, well, I forget the term right now, but where, where you basically are 3D printing houses. That's, that technology is starting to come into play here. Mm -hmm. Not is not in a, near a position to where it can fulfill the market demand right now. But those are the ways that people are looking at in the future of solving the labor shortage demand because I'm not seeing when you look at the demographics that um, the labor availability is gonna get you know, in any way, shape or form a lot better in the long run, I think we're going to be stuck with labor shortages for quite some time and have to learn to adapt. That's interesting. Well, as a professor, I'm curious what you hear from students today who are interested in the field. You know, what are their motivations for getting into it? Well, you know, the biggest motivation um, that I see in my students is just they want to see something get built. They want to actually be <laughs> sure. part of that building process. It's yeah. exciting to see something that comes from a set of drawings that they can watch grow and um, you know manage all those parts and pieces that go together. Because you know we have to remember that a building is a complicated puzzle mm -hmm. where, in a lot of respects, no two buildings are alike. So every puzzle is different, and so. It's a changed experience every day, every project, um, that sort of a thing. And so that's what really draws a lot of people, people's excitement, my students uh, particularly. And it's such, a, it's such a large industry in terms of, um, you know, the construction industry as a whole in terms of the, you know, gross domestic product is relatively significant. And so when you think about all the people on the supply side, on the uh, subcontractors, general contractors, specialty contractors, infrastructure, home building, um, you name it. There is so much, uh, such a wide open field there that there's a great deal of opportunity. Um, and that's what excites students. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, to back up a little bit and chat more about solutions. So one narrative that you hear, I think throughout multiple media sources is the fact that wages aren't high enough. And just to kind of pick your brain on this, is this a problem plaguing the construction industry as well? Um, well, <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Sure, you ask sure. the craft worker says, yes, I'd like to get more money. <laughs> of course I would. Yes. Um, yeah. There's never enough money. But um, the fact of the matter is that the construction industry as a whole has um, has actually been fairly well paid. And that is one of the things that attracts um, certainly my students to the industry. But um, it, it is it doesn't take that long. When you think about the, the craft worker, for example, it doesn't require a four-year degree. It can require perhaps an associate's degree or even just apprenticeship training. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to be burdened with that, uh, you know, uh, college tuition bill uh, over a long period of time. And, and the rise of, of income over a period of time is, is relatively significant. I mean, there's, you know, 
uh, six digits in your salary is not uncommon for an experienced uh, trade craftsman working for a lot of years. So uh, it takes a little bit longer for people on the management side to catch, kind of catch up to that. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it's, it's, construction has been considered well paid. And now with the labor shortage, we're, you know, I'm starting to see that um, that in order to able to attract workers to a company, companies are finding themselves having to pay more. Mm-hmm. And so the, again, the supply and demand side is causing that uh, uh, compensation level to rise sort of mm-hmm. naturally. Okay. Okay, great. Well, that's a good thing for your students, definitely. Um, And I mean, speaking of supply and demand, I think another um, kind of hot topic in the industry is material pricing. So I kind of wanted to pivot and chat about that a little bit. So um, like I asked with craft labor, the craft labor market, can you give me an overview of what, you know, material pricing has looked like throughout the pandemic and right now? Well, um, the, the pandemic really turned the supply side of the market upside down when all of a sudden um, those companies that would be providing inventory to suppliers themselves were shutting down their factories. So, and because nobody was theoretically buying, the inventory that was on hand at the time was flowing out quickly and uh, from what I understand, primarily, at least initially, through the home remodeling side, mm-hmm. where everybody realized, oh, my gosh, I'm home. How am I possibly going to manage my work? Uh, kids going to school in this house. I've got to do something. I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to buy the stuff I need to do that little cubby hole over there, or make that remodel. And that was a surge in demand. As a matter of fact, stocks of those uh, retailers, you know, skyrocketed uh, during the pandemic, as well as um, the call for remodeling. Um, so a lot of that remodeling was sucking uh, some of that inventory supply into the, into the marketplace, but it wasn't getting backfilled. It wasn't getting backfilled enough at the, at the plant side because of the shutdowns. You combine that with um, even pre-pandemic, the tariffs that were put on, um, for example, on Canadian lumber, which was uh, like 20%, something like that, um, that also uh, affected the supply side at, you know, even though it was pre-pandemic, it couldn't have happened at a worse time as far as that's concerned. So it was sort of a uh, an aggregation of things where, you know, prices went well past $1,000 per board foot. Uh, for lumber, uh, which, you know, is considered stratospheric uh, for, to a builder, sure. all right? Sure. Um, the average price of lumber for a home was, was uh, you know, back uh, even a couple of months ago was rising to uh, uh, you know, averaging about $30,000 more for the price of a home or 10%, you know, so that is not insignificant at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, it is a very cyclical kind of a pricing market. We've seen a backslide in uh, pricing recently, which is encouraging. Um, but it's um, it's probably that's as the supply continues to backfill. Now, um, 
then the price of lumber will come down. But we've also seen um, the drywall, um, steel, anything that's made out of steel, which is uh, studs, appliances, things like that, fasteners even, um, all of those things have been affected by um, uh, shortages and, and cost increases as well. Things like glue, caulk, um, doors, uh, cabinetry, things that are made out of wood products, not necessarily sawn lumber, but the byproduct of sawn lumber, um, things like that. It's just been basically across the board that uh, contractors have, have been facing shortages, both commercially and residentially. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite significant. Okay. Do you, do you see a majority of contractors just kind of biting the bullet and buying into those higher prices? Or are some people holding off now and hoping that the market kind of evens itself out? Well, okay. That's a, that's a kind of a loaded question because if a contractor <laughs> was already signed to a contract mm -hmm. that did not have an escalation clause in it, and basically has a client that is unyielding on the contract given these extraordinary events, um, then the contractor's kind of stuck with it. And oftentimes that's going to fall down to the subcontractors. You know, unless they're the contract, the general contractor is self-performing work, you, you've got to think of all those shortages and those price increases falling down into the plumber, all right, or to um, the prefabricator or to the lumber mill or something like that, um, that the contractor now has to absorb those costs within the contract unless the owner is willing to, you know, accommodate this extraordinary circumstance, which the contract will be the dictator in that, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases. However, um, if a client hasn't started a project yet and you see these price increases all of a starting to accumulate and say, oh, I'm sorry, but you know, you haven't signed the contract yet, but uh, I have to tell you that the price just went up another 10%. Um, that might put a pause on a developer or um, owner or somebody saying, uh, let's just stop, take a breath and, and pause. And that we've seen that happen. We've seen projects get canceled, not only because of COVID, but because of the price increase um, and, and availability, the length of time it's taking to build, um, the shortages of the material extend the schedule as well. So it's a complicated stew. That's really what I could tell you. Okay. So <laughs> these projects that have been canceled, do those reside in a certain market of the industry or are they widespread? Widespread. widespread. Now, um, probably less so, um, I would say, um, I, I would say in the vertical construction side, uh, they're probably most effective, which would be buildings, okay? When you look at highway heavy and infrastructure, uh, that's primarily focused on concrete. They may still rely on steel and other, other commodities, but they're probably going to be less affected, especially because their contracts are usually of longer duration, schedules are of longer duration, um, and oftentimes within a lot of public sector contracts, there are escalation, at least some of them, there are escalation clauses within the contracts that are developed. So, um, or the developers and the DOTs and so forth can reduce scope in order to accommodate that or to extend schedules so that a contractor could wait until a price 
gets to the right point or when they can get materials without penalty. So there are different ways to accommodate that. Okay. Okay. Well, one of my last questions for you here is to ask your advice on how contractors and builders should navigate this environment. So let's say you have a contractor right now looking at starting a project. They don't have contract signed or anything, but they're looking to start a project. What do you suggest they do? How do you suggest they navigate this, 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 this market? Well, I, what I would, what I would say, Kelly, is that contractors, um, probably know how to navigate this market. Um, and, and the way that that's traditionally been done is saying, my prices are going up, my prices are going up, I need to pass along those prices, okay? Um, I think, if I might, that the, uh, the, the proper question is, what does the developer of the project do? What does the homeowner do in this situation? Okay, because um, remember that to get a house done, to get a building done requires the cooperation of the owner and the contractor. And the most important thing that they need to do is to both be aware of this volatile situation and to communicate regularly. All right, that's the best advice I can give. Absent that communication, the worst thing that you, uh, remodeling your house would want to find out so when the contractor's all done and hands you a bill for you know 10% more because of the lumber that they bought two months ago that doesn't work so well for you right um, you've already planned everything out you were making assumptions so you have to have that dialogue um, right from the beginning on what this market means to the project and how you're going to manage through that so what the homeowner, what the, the owner of the project needs to do is be patient, recognize that it's not necessarily the contractor's fault, okay, that this is a market-driven situation, but you need to be patient. You need to expect that schedules will be drawn out because of material shortages, even if we're not talking price. Material shortages will cause projects to take longer to complete, which might mean more interest expense on your construction loan, okay? So the owner is the ultimate person responsible for the project, okay, and how it gets delivered. So they have to be part of the dialogue. The contractor needs to include them as part of the dialogue. You have to have the discussion and you have to build in some contingencies, both in schedule and in cost in order to get a project done in this environment it will all settle down, all right? It will. So there is always an option to wait, but you know, Kelly, I know you're impatient. You wanna get that remodeling done, okay? Um, so you have to make a decision. Am I going to absorb that cost or am I going to wait, all right? Uh, and eventually things are gonna settle out. We are going to see uh, factors such as inflation. We're going to see, which isn't necessarily bad by the way, um, we are going to see these increased costs become stabilized, but we're probably never going to see them go backward to where they were. All right. That would be an unreasonable expectation, you know, across the board. Things are going to be more expensive. This is kind of like a blip in the curve that constantly kind of goes up, all right, until you hit another recession where things drop down again. We don't want to be there. That would be the worst thing for our economy. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Okay, great. Well, million dollar question here. When do you expect things to return to some sort of normal in terms of um, material pricing, I should say? Well, um, we're already starting to see that like in lumber, for example, because um, uh, it's interesting to read, even in Minnesota, uh, we have that uh, new initiative uh, for the, you know, how big a lumber mill that's being planned for Northern Minnesota right now in the Iron Range. Um, that's terrific news. And we're starting to see that across the spectrum that the supply side of the lumber industry is, is ramping up their capacity to deliver. Why? It's not, they, they are seeing, seeing that this, the demand side for the housing and all of these projects is not going to go away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. But as there are more suppliers, that means that the lumber price will continue to come down. Supply side will stabilize. The market will become a little bit more competitive for lumber. And, and we will we'll forget this even happened at some point. That'll probably be in 2022 is where I expect us to see more stabilization in that. Steel, again, I think it's the same, same issue, similar as lumber is, is part of it is capacity. Um, uh, so I, I would definitely think that um, the COVID impacts are, are disappearing very quickly. Um, we're, we're getting past that, luckily. Uh, that, that was significant. That won't be a factor. Interest rates, however, could be a factor. But um, right now, the Fed is doing a pretty good job of keeping them tamped down. But here again, even a rise, a slight rise in interest rates are, are not going to be catastrophic for the interest for the industry. It's, it's uh, the, the large uh, big steps that, are, that would be a problem. Um, I think remodeling is here to stay. I absolutely think it's here to stay because the supply of houses ready to buy is so hot right now. I mean, it's, 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 there's a low supply, high demand, people paying premiums over the asking price for existing homes right now means that people will be doing additions, remodeling, stuff like that, as opposed to paying those prices will stay put. So I see the remodeling industry as being, continuing to be red hot. Um, the only sectors that I think are going to be affected COVID-wise are going to be uh, basically um, uh, the office sector when we realize that, hey, you know, a certain portion of our uh, employees can work from home. That's going to change the office market. And um, But I think we're still going to see remodeling happening in those markets, a repurposing of existing space, not necessarily a wide increase of new space out there. Um, you know, manufacturing, I think, is going to continue to be robust and expand uh, as it is uh, presently. So I only see a few areas where the market might, might not go in the direction people want, but you have to be able to diversify. Luckily, I think hospitality, entertainment, even restaurants, I think, are going to uh, rebound. And uh, we're going to see some remodeling in those, in those sectors as well. Okay, great. Well, that was it for everything I wanted to ask. So is there anything else you wanted to add in or emphasize in our last minute here? Be patient. We'll get through this. That's the best advice I can give you. Just be patient and continue to communicate. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Peter. I appreciate it. All right. Not a problem. Happy to do it. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. 
We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.